Well, good morning again. Uh, this morning we are starting a brand new summer sermon series titled Vertical Love. Um, this series is going to cover the entirety of our summer, basically all of July and all of August. And we're going to be thinking about this subject of love over nine full weeks. Um, you may ask this morning, why are we doing a summer sermon series on love? Why is this a focus over the next few months in 2020? And there's a whole host of different reasons for why we're doing a series on this subject. Part of the reason is theological. At the heart of every single doctrine, every single doctrine in the Christian faith, every truth about who God is and who God calls us to be, is a direct or indirect connection to the subject of love. Uh, Jesus himself described love as the greatest command of all. Um, another part of the reason that we're doing this series is observational. Um, at DBC, we should be encouraged at how we understand God's love for us. Uh, we should be encouraged at how we love God in response to his love for us. And we should be encouraged at how we love one another, including those who loosely connect with the church in some way, whether that be on a Sunday or throughout the week, and also how we love those who have no connection with the church at all. And let me say that this is not something that just started when the replant began. Um, it's exactly five years ago today that Paul and I attended our first DVC service. And the clear welcome we received that day was one characterised by love. The ladies exhibited a love that was clearly from God, and they continue to do so, and we're carrying on what they have already established over many years within the life of the church. But having said that, um, the stark reality is that we can always be better when it comes to love. You and I are not who we ought to be when it comes to how we love and who we love. And this is the case because none of us accurately reflect biblical love. None of us are perfect. We're often impatient. We're often unkind. We often envy and choose to be boastful and arrogant. We're rude, we're self-seeking, we're irritable, and we do in fact keep a record of other people's wrongs. Let's be completely honest about that, including people within the church. So when I was growing up, um, I had a bike with a dodgy handlebar, and it didn't matter how often I tried to cycle on a straight line, it would always veer off uh, onto the curb. Um, and understand this morning, um, I want us to see that love is a bit like that for each one of us. We have a broken and a messed up understanding and application of love, meaning we by default will always go off track. We veer off the path that God has for us when it comes to his divine call to receive his love and to live a life of love. And so what we're going to do through this series is to hopefully raise awareness about the importance of God's love and the call for each one of us to love. My prayer is that we would be conscious of this daily duty, we would be awakened to it, and we would live this kind of life of love and the power of his spirit. And we're going to divide our nine weeks into three parts. And each part in many regards is like a mini-series in and of itself. And it's going to look at a different aspect of this Christian virtue of love. And in the first three weeks, we're going to be thinking about God's love for us. God's love for us. And then from there, in the next three weeks, which will take us up to almost mid-August, We'll be thinking about our love for God and response to God's love for us. And then finally, the last three weeks, our focus is on our love for each other. Um, and as we think about these three parts to our nine-week series, I've been asking a question this week. What would be the overarching passage that encompasses what it is that we're going to look at over the next couple of months? Um, or another way of putting it would be this. What would be my prayer for you and for me as we embark upon this journey of love over the summer? And the passage that comes to mind, which I'm turning into a prayer for each one of you and for myself, is Ephesians chapter 3 and verses 14 through to 21. 
where Paul writes these powerful words. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to, to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So Paul here basically touches upon the order that we're going through within this sermon series. In verses 17 through to 18, we read these powerful words. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love. Paul is basically saying here, I'm on my knees praying that you would truly comprehend, you would truly come to terms in your mind with regards to God's love for you and God's love for each one of us as part of his family. And then in verse 20 we read, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. So basically Paul wants us to see here that we can only ever understand this kind of love when he does a work inside us. He does a rewiring of our hearts and out of this internal transformation of our hearts and minds, then comes a love for God and a love for each other in a way that we didn't think was possible. As Paul says, this is a task that's way beyond anything we could ever dare to ask or imagine. And yet it's a task that's possible because of God's power, the Holy Spirit that is at work in each one of us. So this morning, uh, we begin our series thinking about vertical love as God's love for us and how this kind of love is first and foremost an initiating love, an initiating love. Uh, God is the one who started this love relationship with us. Take a moment to ponder how incredible that reality is. I'm going to highlight two passages that speak of this initiating love, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. My prayer is that through these passages, we would come to terms with God's desire and longing to be in relationship with us. And we would understand that this is something that he started in our lives. So let's first jump to Jeremiah chapter 1 and verses 1 to 10. I'm reading from the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, the words are going to be up on the screen for you. And we're, we're going to start in verse 1 of this passage. So we read these words. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests living in Anathothen, the territory of Benjamin, the word of the Lord came to him in the thirteenth year of the reign of Josiah, son of Amon, king of Judah. It also came throughout the days of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. The word of the Lord came to me. I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. But I protested, Oh no, Lord God. Look, I don't know how to speak since I am only a youth. Then the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for you will go to everyone I send you to and speak whatever I tell you. Do not be afraid of anyone, for I will be with you to rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. 
Then the Lord reached out his hand, touched my mouth and told me, I have now filled your mouth with my words. See, I have appointed you today over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and demolish, to build and plant. And then let's jump to the New Testament and let's have a look at what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1 and in verses 3 to 6. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. Now, I want to suggest to you this morning that it's not enough for us to say, for you to say, God loves you or Jesus loves you as we try and bring the gospel to our lost world. Now, I'm not saying that that sentence is wrong. What I want to suggest this morning is that it doesn't go far enough. And we need to know why this is true. Why is it that we can say with all that we are that God loves you and that God loves me? And there's a whole host of different reasons for why this is true. And this morning, we want to focus on what is perhaps the first foundational reason for why it's true, which ties directly in with our passage this morning in Jeremiah and also in Ephesians. He loves us because he created us. And it's not like he created us and left us to our own devices. And then at some point down the line, he chose to love us. No, he created us and he initiated this intimate love relationship with us at the very start. This is what we mean by initiating love. God started this connection we have with him. And even though humanity turned its back on God, what we see in Genesis chapter 3, at the very start of our Bibles, it doesn't matter. God still loves us and he always loves us. This initiating love is most clearly demonstrated in the cross where Jesus took your sin and died in your place for the wrath, punishment and judgment that you deserved. This is an unconditional love and he is always ready for us with arms wide open to receive us back into this relationship with him. So this is what I mean when I say God loves you as a sentence is not enough. Knowledge of why God loves you and how God has demonstrated this love for you will give you proper weight and significance that this sentence demands. It moves from God loves you and when someone asks why you say God loves you, you just respond with he just does to one of God loves you and when someone asks why, you're then able to say because he created you, because he blessed you with your unique personality and your unique combination of different gifts and abilities that you have, because he died for you, because he rescued you, because he initiated this love relationship with you. So suddenly you have a big building block or big building blocks for how you can understand this commonly used sentence. There's a depth there's meaning which you never had before. One of the things that I've experienced uh, during lockdown uh, is a greater amount of time to cook. Uh, and I'm cooking way more than I used to, and I'm enjoying it as well. Um, and I'm just about to embark on one of Jamie Oliver's five ingredient meals. And I can't wait to cook it. Um, let me share it with you. It's an aromatic Rogan Josh lamb curry. And there's five key ingredients to it a boneless shoulder of lamb, two large onions, two aubergines, a Rogan Josh paste, not the sauce, the paste, and there's a big difference between the sauce and the paste, by the way, it's very important, 
And finally, natural yogurt. Now let's say I was mates with Jamie Oliver and I went round to his house for dinner. I had no idea what he was making me, but when I arrived, before me on a plate was this aromatic Rogan Josh lamb curry. No question about it, I would be wolfing it down. I would really enjoy it. I'm pretty sure I'd love it. I'm absolutely certain I'd have seconds. But I wouldn't enjoy it as much as when I make it myself. And it's for a very simple reason. Unlike dinner at Jamie's, when I make it myself, I know the ingredients, I prepare the ingredients, I put a lot of work into the preparation of this meal. When I savour that blend of aubergine, lamb and natural yoghurt mixed together in a cacophony of taste, I know exactly why it tastes the way it does. I'm tasting the richness of the aubergine contrasted with the succulent texture of a lamb because I've prepared it that way. And that lamb submerged in Rogan Josh is bringing out a flavour I wasn't expecting. The difference between dinner at Jamie's and me making it is that when I make it, I know what's underneath all that I see and taste. My knowledge of a meal makes me love the meal even more. Now it's the same when it comes to your understanding of this phrase, God loves you or Jesus loves you. You can have those sentences presented to you on a plate. To some extent, you'll savour and appreciate this phrase. To some degree, it may even be realised in your heart. But it won't be as enjoyable and as satisfying as when you get right underneath those phrases. You see the ingredients that make up these words. You recognise the why behind the what. When you do, when you do that, when you understand why it is that God loves you, it becomes even richer and even more satisfying. God loves you because of his ingredients. He's a redeemer. He's a sanctifier. He's a protector. He's an initiator. God initiates this love relationship with you. He created every single one of us. He loved us and he has blessed us and gifted us in a myriad of different ways. And this is what we're thinking about this morning through our passages. We're thinking about this idea of God initiating this love relationship with us. So let's take a moment to dig into chapter 1 and verses 4 to 5 of both of our passages. We read these strikingly similar words from the Old and the New Testament. Starting in Jeremiah 1, the word of the Lord came to me. I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then Paul writes in the New Testament in Ephesians 1, For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Now these passages are similar for one fundamental reason. They both highlight this incredible truth that God chose you and I. Um, and this is at the heart of this idea of initiating love. This is why we say Jesus loves you. He chose each, each and every one of us. He created us. He blessed us. He gifted us. But don't think of this as God deciding to choose each one of us at some point in the timeline of our earthly lives. No, God chose you and he did so before you were born. In fact, Paul goes even further and he says, before the foundation of the world, he chose you. In other words, before the world and the universe were created, God chose each one of us and he knew us by name. This is the fundamental similarity between these two passages. We worship the God of election. He elected us to be his children. But there's also a difference between these two passages. 
and it's a complementary difference. Two different outcomes that grow out of a central reality that God has chosen us. Um, in our Ephesians passage, Paul says that we are chosen, we're elected, or another word to describe us would be predestined, in order that we might be adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. The undeniable reality of the Christian faith is we're adopted sons and daughters of the living God. We're adopted sons and daughters of the living God. Meditate on this. Let this truth marinate in your heart. Breathe this in because it's true for every single one of us this morning. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done in your past, God has opened a door for you to be adopted as his own. Paul writes his words in Romans 8 and in verse 15. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So it doesn't matter how broken your earthly relationships are, how messed up your past is. You have a God who loves you and who has paved the way for you to be adopted. So that in your heart, you might cry out of all that you are, Abba, Father. This is a God who is near to us, a God who has adopted us. A God who initiates this love relationship with us. And it's nothing to do with you. It was his idea that you're a Christian. It's his idea that you become a Christian today. This is what Charles Spurgeon says. I believe the doctrine of election because I'm quite sure that if God had not chosen me, I should never have chosen him. And I am sure he chose me before I was born or else he never would have chosen me afterwards. And he must have elected me for reasons unknown to me. For I never could find any reason in myself why he should have looked upon me with special love. So the first point we want to hold on to here is that we've been chosen in order that we might be adopted as children of God. And there's no sweeter truth than that, that we're adopted children of God. The second point I want us to see from, this passages, from these passages is that we're chosen before the foundations of the earth for a particular purpose. This is what we see from the words of Jeremiah. God says to the prophet, I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And the call of God upon the life of Jeremiah is different from the call of God upon your own life. But understand that just because the call and purpose for you is different from that of Jeremiah, it doesn't mean that there isn't a call or a purpose for you today from God in July 2020 as you sit and watch this video. God has planned great things for you to do in Christ Jesus and it's your responsibility to be awakened to those things as you move forward in faith and as you depend upon the Holy Spirit. Look at what Paul writes again in Ephesians chapter 2 and in verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Incredibly, God has already planned, God has already prepared ahead of time Good works for you to do. Now I'm not here this morning to tell you what purpose and what good works lie ahead of you for you to do. For God's glory and for your own good. Only God knows that. Your job this morning is to walk forward in faith. And into all that he has already planned for you. Believing that over time God will reveal and fulfill his plan for your life. So let me ask you this morning as we think about this truth. Do you honestly believe that God has a purpose for you? Do you honestly believe that God has a plan for your life? And do you believe that this is a more satisfying purpose than any earthly purpose or pursuit you're chasing right now? Do you honestly believe 
that God has planned good works for you to do today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, for the rest of your life. <coughs> or like Jeremiah, do you say, oh no Lord, look, I don't know how to dot dot dot. For Jeremiah, it was, I don't know how to speak, <clears throat> but I would encourage you to insert whatever genuine insecurity <coughs> or obstacle is inhibiting you from living forward and into God's plan and purpose for your life as you make those steps of faith for him. When you've inserted your reservation for not living out God's purpose, ask God to forgive you of that sin and ask God to take that obstacle from your heart. Ask God for his power to live out his will for your life and then be satisfied in that. His power is at work. Jesus encapsulates this with these words in John chapter 15 and in verse 16. When he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And here's the connection between election and purpose. Jesus says, I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he will give you. So the second point I want us to take from these verses is that God has chosen you and he's chosen you for a particular purpose. So he's chosen you that you might be adopted into his family. And he's chosen you for that particular God-glorifying purpose. Now, maybe you can testify to God's saving grace in your life. You can share of how God's initiating love has brought you to that place where you know all of this to be true. You know that you're a child of God and you know something of the purpose and plan he has for your life. You're walking in that right now. You see God's presence and power. You carry God's peace. Or maybe not. And maybe for you, this is all theory. You've never seen it in your own life. You don't know what this might look like in the life of somebody else. And well, God is at work in the world in surprising and exciting ways. And I want to share as we close an example of somebody who can testify to this initiating love. They know they're a child of God and they know the purpose they've been given. And this testimony is a story of a guy called Rafik. And Rafik was in his early 20s and he was working in Paris as a musician back in 2001 and his job was to write music for an international film and music company. Now Rafik was an indigenous North African who lived in France. He was born in North Africa but he grew up a European. In his own words he was a Muslim in name but an atheist in practice. His wife Nora lived back in North Africa and he would visit her once a year and regularly send money to her. His life was music, it was his gift, he could play many different instruments and they would all play their role in the music he wrote for the company he worked for. Now Rafik's career was progressing and the door opened for him to write a musical. <clears throat> and so he spent time thinking about what kind of story he would tell for a musical. And one day he was walking down a prison street and it began to, to absolutely chuck it down. He stepped into a doorway to light a cigarette. When he turned around, he realised that the doorway to the building was a Catholic church. So Rafik stepped inside. He saw a large statue of Jesus suspended from the ceiling. And in the wall beside it, another image of Jesus. And underneath the words, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Rafik thought to himself, what kind of person was this who would lay down his life for others? And then it dawned on him, this would make a great subject for a musical. So he asked one of the priests for the stories of Jesus and he gave him a large Catholic Bible. And Rafik responded, no, no, I just want the part about Jesus. And so he gave him, the four Gospels. He took the Gospels home 
and he read them over and over again and soon he began to have dreams filled with Jesus and music. And the music and the scenes for his musical began to pour out of his imagination. In one month, he wrote the entire life of Jesus in what became a two and a half hour musical. The story went from the angel Gabriel's announcement all the way through to Jesus' resurrection and ascension. The musical was called Nazareth. Rafiq says this about what he made. The more I gave myself to this life of Jesus, the more he changed me. My friends in the music business warned me, be careful, they said. Do not lose yourself in this person of Jesus. I told them, it's too late. He already has me. So he took the musical to his bosses and they were all for it. They began discussing who would be cast for each role. They were excited about this proposition. And then something happened in the West. There was a change around that time in terms of the religious climate. Uh, People began to be more hesitant about films being depicted with Jesus. Out of a fear it would be anti-Semitic. Shortly afterwards, Rafiq was fired. His response to losing the job he loved was this. It no longer mattered to me. Jesus had become my life. So, do we see something of what's going on here? The initiating love of God, God's elective power upon the life of Rafiq, meant that he was now a child of God. What we see here in our Ephesians passage this morning is matched with this testimony of Rafiq. And the story doesn't end there. God continued to work in Rafiq's life. He doesn't just leave him with this new identity as an, as an adopted child of God. He gives him something to do. He has a purpose, a God-given purpose. Rafiq continues, I stopped smoking and drinking. I no longer wanted to spend time in the bars or partying. Instead, I wanted to return to North Africa to tell Nora and my family about the one who had come into my life. His wife, shortly afterwards, came to faith in Jesus. And Rafiq says this, And now I am serving the Lord here in North Africa. I compose and produce music in French, Arabic and Berber, all to the glory of God. And Rafiq started living out his purpose. And as he did so, there were still moments of struggle and doubt. And he shares from his home in North Africa just this powerful experience he had. Uh, Last year, I did become sad. I wondered if I should continue doing what I was doing. So I prayed to God that he would teach me. Soon afterwards, I began having dreams in which an old man spoke to me and taught me. In one dream, I saw a beautiful meadow with sheep and a stream. I heard the voice of the old man saying to me, What do you see? I see a meadow and a stream, I said, and sheep grazing in the meadow. Next, I saw a little shepherd boy sitting on the hillside playing a flute. The old man in my dream said, What do you see? I see a little shepherd boy. And what is he doing? The old man asked. He is playing a flute, I said. And why is he playing a flute? He is playing it, I said, so the sheep will know that they belong to him. The old man said gently, you are that shepherd boy, and that is why you must continue your music, so the sheep will know that they belong to him. I awoke weeping, and I knew that I had my answer. So I share this example to say that God is the reason that Rafiq is now living for God. And look at how God has given him a Rafiq-shaped, Jesus-centered purpose for his life. And look at the impact that Rafiq is now having amongst his own people in North Africa. Well, maybe this morning you have never made a decision to follow Jesus. I want to invite you to follow in the footsteps of Rafiq and so many others. Make a decision to make Jesus the center of your life. And I can promise you, you'll never regret it. 
Your life will be full of ups and downs, yes. But with Jesus as your anchor, you can know that you're his. You're a child of God. And you can know that he has created you for a God-given purpose. If you're watching us live, you can click on the prayer button. You can respond to Jesus today. Someone is waiting to talk with you and to pray for you. We believe that when you make a decision to follow him, your life will never be the same. It will be for your absolute good. The love of God poured into your heart. There's nothing more important and life-changing than that. Turn to Jesus. He has the very best for you. If you're watching this recorded and you want to respond to Jesus, then do contact us at info at denisonbaptist.co.uk and we would love to connect with you as you make a decision and as you follow Jesus, as you step forward in faith and turn from your sin and believe that he has the, the ability and the power to change your life for your good. For all of us now, there's a chance to respond and worship. And my prayer is that through this time, we would know and we would experience God's initiating love. It was his idea that we gather today. It's his idea that you're a Christian. And it's his idea that he changes you and shapes you so that you become more and more like Jesus day after day. God's initiating love is a reality for each one of us. Let's pray together. So Father, we thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, we pray that as we have just taken hold of, of what your word says, we would be open, we would have open hearts and open minds. You would remove any obstacles and that you would direct our path so that we see you clearly. Lord, as we take this time to sing, may we have the boldness and the courage to respond in faith to you. And we pray, Lord, that we would do so by clicking on that button, by responding in faith. Or even if we need prayer for something, we would have courage to respond and to believe that you're going to minister to us through this time. So we commit all of this to you, Lord. We pray that in the power of your Holy Spirit, you would make us more and more like Jesus. Help us to see you and help us to live for you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Love you guys. God bless.